0: Well, good morning. Hope all of you guys are doing well. I want to welcome those of you who may be joining us online or from one of our campuses. So glad that even though we're in different places, we're still one big Seacoast family. So put your hands together if you're grateful for that. I want to update you on some things that you have done. So many of you are familiar with uh, the, the, the the situation that Kentucky is facing. There have been some terrible tornadoes that just ravaged the area. And You guys have been so generous to come to their aid. You've provided over a hundred thousand dollars in relief effort that has gone straight into. Yeah, give yourselves a hand straight into all of the work that's being done there. Uh, we've, We've just deployed every dollar of that into things like clothing and food and demolition and toiletries and Christmas gifts, things that they just don't have anymore. So. Well done, uh, Seacoast. You guys are always so generous, and it's, it's good to know that uh, all that you're doing here is making a difference there. So just want you to be encouraged by that. Also want you to know we announced this a couple of weeks ago. We're in what we call a legacy season where we talk about some different things that God has put it on our hearts to do. Now, he's given us the vision, but the pace is entirely up to him, and he uses you guys to do it. And one thing we said we were going to do is find a permanent facility for our Johns Island family. And so we went ahead and bought land and thought, well, we'll just wait until the, the, the money comes along thereafter, because we don't want to take on a lot of debt to do this. It'll probably be about a five to six million dollar project. And not long after we did that, someone came along and made a million dollar contribution towards that effort, which is just unbelievable. So we're so grateful for that. But the way that and you think, you know, like a million bucks, you don't need my hundred dollars. Well, it is five to six million dollars before we're done with it. So every little bit will count, but we're t- we're totally fine waiting on your pace to get there. But the way that he structured this gift is it's a match. And so already to date, since we announced that you guys have contributed over $600,000 towards the match. So way to go. Well done. Again, this is entirely up to God. It's his pace. We're comfortable waiting on him, but we're just We're grateful that you are such a generous church, and you want to make a difference, not just in the community where you are, but in other communities. So just grateful for you, Seacoast family. Hey, I know that we're just a few days away from Christmas, and most of you, you're probably making those final preparations for your Christmas day. You've got your tree up, your lights are on it, your ornaments are hung. I know some of you have worked very hard to have that perfect Christmas tree. I mean, like the OCD Christmas tree, like the Hallmark movie Christmas tree, you know you are because other people are looking at you right now going, that's you, right? (laughs) But some of you have a crazy Christmas tree. I know this because I did some research and I found out what the most popular, popular ornaments are for 2021. So here's what some of you are hanging on your Christmas tree this year. All right, look at this. First, we have hipster Santa. Otherwise known as Asheville Santa, Asheville family. It's funny because it's true. If Pastor Teddy were to dress up like Santa, it look something like this. We all know it. Next, we have this one. Tiger King. I don't know why you want to put him on your Christmas tree, but that's what some of you are doing this year. Next, we have this one. Mary Margarita. I hear some clapping. Now you know who's got that on their tree. Right, that's, that's taking the margarita game to a whole nother level there. Now we have this one. Let's get baked. Otherwise known as have yourself a Colorado Christmas, right? <laughs> right. Here we have meatball sub. This is what some of you are doing this year. And, and then to top that one, we have bacon. You're putting bacon on your Christmas trees. Some of you are like, I got to go shopping today. I will let you know this one is sold out in most places. It's starting to make sense, though. The Let's Get Baked, the Meatball Sub, the Bacon. There's probably a potato chip ornament out there somewhere. It all fits. I get it. But here's the most popular Christmas ornament for 2021. Right here. Baby Yoda. Who wouldn't want a little Baby Yoda on their Christmas tree, right? Yeah. So... No matter what kind of crazy Christmas ornaments you have this year, I'll bet that you all have at least one in common. I'll bet that all of you have at least one angel on your Christmas tree this year. True. True. Yeah, most of you. Now, that doesn't mean you didn't make it weird, because as I'm about to show you, our idea of angels is a little bit off. So here's here's one that's very popular right now. Chubby angel with the flower skirt. I don't know what it is about angels, but we like to think of them as like chubby little cherubs, soft and cuddly. And I don't, I don't think that's a thing, but we like to think of them that way. The flower skirt is just extra. Now, here, Here's another one. We've got the honey boo boo angel. That one's terrifying to me. Some of you are putting that up this year. Here's another one. Angels with teddy bears. Now. Here's the thing. we also like to think of our angels as Santa's helpers. They often have toys with them. So I don't, I don't think it's a thing biblically, but that's how we like to do it. Right? Here's another one that I believe I can fly angel. This one's very inspiring. If you need a little motivation, you might put that on your tree this year. Here's another one. This one gets a little strange. The angel band with no pants. This is a whole collection. What's with the no pants? It's weird. It's not as weird as this one, though. The angel bands with no pants sitting down. Who thought that would be a good idea? Now it goes all the way from weird to creepy. I just i don't get that one. We, here's the thing about our angels. We, they're funny and they're cute, but they're most often wrong. Right? Like, take a look at this one. The floating angel with a guitar. I don't think that's a thing, but we, th- we think it's a thing. Or this one, the floating angel with a harp. I don't know if that's really a thing either. Or how about this one? floating cat angel. That is not a thing. That's never been a thing. It's never going to be a thing. Or how about this floating dog angel? That actually could be a thing. I'm not sure. We'll have to do some more research. It could be. In all seriousness, we have some interesting ideas about our angels. Sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're cute, but most often they're wrong. I hate to tell you, but most often they're wrong. And today I want to talk about the angel that we meet during the birth of Jesus. The angel is a familiar part of the Christmas story. We all remember the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Anybody watch it this year? Yeah. We all remember what Linus says to Charlie Brown straight out of Luke's gospel. He says this. So Joseph went up to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So that's God's word. That's our passage for this morning. And the question we're going to consider is this. What does the Christmas angel really have to do with Christmas? Well, if if you look at the word angel in both the Hebrew and the Greek, it means messenger. So whether or not you see an angel in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the meaning is the same. They're a messenger. And if there's a messenger, then there has to be a message. And so what message does the Christmas angel have for us? There are a couple of different ways we could look at this. We could look at the angel's words to better understand the message, or, or we could look at the shepherd's response to better understand the message. I think the more common route is to look at the angel, angel's words. So we're going to be a little different today. We're going to look at the shepherd's response to the angel to understand the message and from the shepherd's response, we can see that this message is a template of sorts. It's a, it's a template for salvation and for spiritual growth. So if you've ever had that question, if you've ever thought, how can I have a relationship with God? How can I have a relationship with Jesus? Or how do I grow in my relationship with Jesus? This encounter with the angel provides us an answer with both with, with an answer to both of those questions. And so as we look at the shepherd's response to the angel, we can see three things. One, they were willing to listen. Two, they were willing to set aside their preconceptions. And three, they were willing to take their next step. Let's look at them one by one. We meet the shepherds in Chapter 2 of, of Luke's Gospel. They were busy. They were in the middle of something. It was nighttime. It was the most dangerous time of day for their sheep. They had to be vigilantly on watch to protect their livelihood from predators, because you ever wonder what a shepherd is without sheep? You know what shepherds are without sheep? They broke. They're unemployed, right? In fact, it's worse than you might think, because most often in first century Israel. The shepherds weren't the owners of the sheep. They were the caretakers of the sheep, but they didn't actually own the sheep. So if they lost a sheep or a sheep died, they probably not only lost their job, but they had to pay the owners back. So this was not a convenient time. There was a lot on the line, but here was this angel and they couldn't really ignore him. I mean, he's he's glowing. Like, what are you going to do? Luke tells us that the glory of the Lord shone around them, but in the midst of all they were doing. The shepherds still had to make the decision whether or not they were going to listen to this angel. That presents an interesting question for us. Are we willing to listen to what God has to say to us? Are we willing to listen? Now, I know some of you are sitting here this morning thinking I'm only here to make someone else happy. Like I'm not really interested in what you have to say. How much longer will you be? (laughs) That's okay. I'm not offended by that, but you've made one critical mistake. You showed up and I have the microphone. (laughs) No, seriously, you showed up and God has a way of getting our attention when we least expect it. Sometimes today might just be your day. So are we willing to listen? In fact, there may be a better way to ask the question. What are we listening to? Or who are we listening to? Because we're all listening to something to someone. So the real question is, are we listening to the right thing? Are we listening to the right person? Now, all of this, it resonates in me a little more deeply than I would care to admit Uh, early in my ministry career. I got this very wrong. I I let success tell me who I was. I let the approval of others tell me who I was. I was listening to the wrong things, and I didn't realize it until after my dad passed away, because so much of this had to do with him. I was trying to earn something from my earthly father that my heavenly father had already given me. I just didn't know it. For me, there was this constant whispering voice in my life of inadequacy. And quite suddenly, all of that changed for me for several years. Up until that time, I had been racing Ironman triathlons, which if you, if you don't know, it's a 2.4 mile swim. It's a 112 mile bike and a, a 26.2 mile run. I know it sounds ridiculous. The, the short story is that I thought I had chosen triathlon as this healthy hobby in my life, and it, it was. I mean, I, I did love it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my racing career. But it was also true that I was inwardly, quietly, and desperately insecure, so afraid that I was not enough. And I thought that by doing this ridiculously hard sport, I could prove that I was enough to myself, to other people, to my father. Over those years, I had become good enough to acquire a few sponsors. And I was doing an interview for one of them in the off season. It was about three months after my dad passed away. And she asked me a question. She said, you're racing seven events next year. Which one is your target race? Which means, what's the one you're most focused on? Because the races were so grueling, you couldn't couldn't make every one your target race. You used a lot of races just as primers to get ready for the one you really wanted to do well in. And without really thinking about it, I looked at her and I said, I'm going to win all of them. She looked at me and she said, that's she thought that's stupid. Like nobody does that. It's not what it's not a thing. And then she did ask me, how do you plan to do that? And I remember these words. I remember looking at her and telling her, my, my dad passed away a few months ago. So this season I'll race for him. This is where it gets scary. I looked at her and I said, it's not that I think I'm unbeatable. It's just that I know how much I'm willing to suffer. And I don't think there are a lot of people who are willing to go there with me. Sounds super healthy, doesn't it? Fast forward to the end of that race season, and I was I was six for six, six triathlons, six wins. But the last race was a half Ironman, and I was about seven miles into the run, feeling good, feeling like I had what it took for the day, and then it happened out of nowhere there have only been a few times in my life where I've heard God's voice unmistakably known that it was God saying something to me, and this was one of those moments. It was like a light went on for me, and God just tore through all the, the noise of inadequacy in my life. What I heard was, you don't need this anymore. You've never needed this. I know you haven't felt like enough, but I am enough for you. And if you give this to me, I will give you the identity you've been searching for. Not one that you have to establish or defend. I will be enough for you. Six times that season, I'd, I'd broken the tape in first place. And each time I was still so imprisoned by this fear that I was not enough, but that last race, I crossed the line in ninth place, and I was finally free. And I'm sure people I was so excited. I'm sure people were looking at me at the finish line like, you know, he didn't win, right? It was a ninth place finish, but it was unquestionably the best race of my career, and it was the last race of my career. A long time ago, one night in Bethlehem, God quietly, but unmistakably tore through the noise in our world. And when he did, he came with a message. He said, I am here to redeem you. Every part of you, not just your soul, but your minds, your emotions, your wills. It will take some time because you are stubborn and you are slow to trust me. But I will finish the work I have begun in you. Let's start with learning to listen. So what's the race that you're running? If you can figure out what that is, then you'll know what you're really listening to in your life. What we learn from the Shepherd's response to the angel is this our relationship with God. It begins with learning to listen. And, our, and the work that he does in our lives, it's fueled by our continued willingness to listen to him. Jesus knew this. He described it in John's Gospel. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. The question for us is the same as it was for the shepherds. Are we willing to listen? To what God has to say to us now, while the shepherds were willing to listen, which is our first point, they found themselves listening to something that was very different from what they were expecting. So they had to be willing to set aside their preconceptions, which is our second point. The idea of the the Messiah for these shepherds. It was not new. It was not a new thing for at least a thousand years. There was this prevailing hope among the Jewish people. That the Messiah would come and reestablish Israel. They believed he would be a conquering king, a savvy military leader who would deliver Israel from her oppressors, which at the time was Rome. And in doing so, he would again secure a promised land for Israel. That's what all the Jews believed at that time. And here comes this angel with a message that sounded very different. Go to Bethlehem and look for A baby, not a conquering king, but a vulnerable baby, not even a wealthy baby born to a powerful family, but a poor baby. In fact, the sign to confirm his identity is that he'll be laying in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. This is not at all what they were expecting. They had an idea of what the Messiah would be, and this was not it. And this becomes a really critical moment for the shepherds. Do they believe in this crazy angel or do they just go back to their sheep? But before they can do anything, Luke tells us that the whole thing escalates. He says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. If they were afraid of the one angel, imagine how they felt about the army. These were not the chubby little cherubs with no pants. These were the warriors of heaven. You get the sense that God knew just how much he was flipping the script on them for centuries. They had an idea of what the Messiah would be and knowing how different this picture was. God decided to put on a show and it all became a moment of awakening for these these shepherds, but only only if they would loosen their grip. On their preconceptions. And this is where I think we're beginning to see a significant cultural shift in a very scary direction. You see, the, the world has begun to handle theology very differently. There's a new tendency towards modification, and we're calling it progression. The world is developing theological frameworks that suit them. And when that happens, it, With those frameworks, they're they're modifying God to fit within their framework. And here's what happens when we do that. Suddenly, we're not left with the God who made us. We're left with the God we made. What we need to keep in mind is that there's never been a time in all of history when God has needed to be modified. God's perfection is part of his nature. David knew this when he wrote for who is God, but the Lord and who is a rock except our God. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. If perfection is part of God's nature, then he can never cease to be perfect or he will cease to be God. In theology, we call this immutability. Tozer said it like this God cannot change for the better. Since he is perfectly holy, he has never been less holy than he is now and can never be holier than he has always been. Neither can God change for the worse. Any deterioration within the holy nature of God is impossible. And James knew it, saying, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change. Like the shifting shadows, God has never needed to, nor can he change. It's our understanding of him that has to change. Tozer again says, if we would bring back spiritual power to our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. So what's all of this mean? What does it mean for us? Here's what it means. We must begin to shape our beliefs. We must allow God to shape our beliefs rather than shaping God to accommodate what we want to believe in. We must allow God to shape our beliefs rather than shaping God to accommodate what we want to believe in. For the shepherds, it was this moment with the angel where they had to answer a question Are we going to consider, am I willing to consider, That God might not fit within the box I've made for him. Am I willing to let God be God, even if it makes me a little uncomfortable? Now there's one one more response we need to see from the shepherds here after being willing to listen and after being willing to set aside their preconceptions, they were willing to take the next step. Luke tells us that when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Notice the way Luke records this. There are parts that are specific and parts that are vague. First, they start with, let's go to Bethlehem. That's very clear, very specific. And they finish with which the Lord has made known to us. Also very clear, very specific. But in the middle, they say, and see this thing that has happened. It's a Greek word that means something that was said or a word that was spoken. It's not specific as to what was said, only that something was said. They know where they're going. They know who told them to go there, but they don't know what they'll see when they arrive because it was so far out of the box from what they expected. And yet they were willing to take the next step. For these shepherds, listening to the angel and taking this next step meant that nothing about their lives would ever be the same. Everything was going to change. So what's your next step? What's your next step for each of this? It could mean different things, but for all of us, it at least means pushing out into the deeper water of our faith. For some of us, it means finally getting in the water. That's okay. And for others, it means pushing out into the deep. Next year in 2022, we're going to do something that we think can help with this. We're going to launch something we're calling our growth track. You'll see it behind me. It consists of three small groups that will help you grow in your faith. Here's what it looks like. First, we start with inside track. It's a four-week small group where we get to know you a little bit. You get to know us. And then it's a 10-week small group called Rooted, where you can learn more about the foundations of what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. And then it's a 12-week small group called Freedom, where you can learn what it is to break free from some of the things that might hold you back in your relationship with God. We're doing all of these as small groups. You'll do them with other people, because at times we're all going to need someone to encourage us, someone to challenge us. Our hope in developing this growth track was to create a pathway for anyone who wants to grow in their faith to be able to do so. So what's your next step? I know know it'd be easy to sit here and go, "Ah, I should probably do that. That sounds like it'd probably be a good thing for me. I should probably do it. And then do nothing about it. So we're going to make it super easy for you. Text the word grow to 320 320 tell us which one of those you're interested in and someone from our team will follow up with you that easy. Some of you are sitting here thinking about the time when you were taking your next step in your faith and how helpful it was to have someone come alongside you across all of our campuses. We're going to need people who will help us run these small groups. So if that opportunity excites you do the same thing text grow to 320 320 and just check. I want to help. And someone from our team will follow up with you. But it's, it's small groups like these that help us learn which races are worth running. You know, a, a few years after that last triathlon, Dana and I found ourselves moving from one house to another in the area. And, and moving is the worst. Like we can all agree on that. Anybody got an amen to moving is the worst. It's the worst, but it does force you to take inventory, right? You end up really understanding what's important and what's not. You end up purging a bunch of things you thought you couldn't live without. And so I found myself as I was packing up, standing in front of this wall of plaques and ribbons and trophies that I'd won throughout my time in triathlon. And I pulled over a box, getting ready to put them all in it. And I thought to myself, I think it's time for me to let these go. In fact, I I think it's important that I let these go. So I pushed the box aside, and I pulled over the trash can and just put them in there. It was a moment for me to remember that God had already established my worth and my value, and he proved it on the cross. It was not a race I needed to run anymore. So my encouragement to you is this in 2022, put yourself around a group of people. Maybe in small groups like these that can help you learn which race is worth running. It will be harder for you to figure that out by yourself. So put yourself around a group of people who can help you do it. The writer of Hebrews said it like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance. The race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Now, as I close here, I want to just highlight two things to honor the text. Because these are, you don't want to miss these. Notice how Luke writes verse 8. He says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I think the most overlooked word in that verse is the word living. Shepherds lived outside the cities in the fields, because at this time in Hebrew culture, shepherding was a despised position. This was about a thousand years after the time when King David was a shepherd, when it was more of a family thing. But in first century Israel, shepherds were looked down upon. They were second class citizens. In fact, they didn't even have the full rights of citizens. Their testimony wasn't admissible in court. So it blows my mind to think that the angels invited shepherds into the city to witness the birth of Jesus. Who would have believed them? The invitation would force them to disregard all the social barriers of their day. In fact, when the angel invited these shepherds, I imagine they had to be thinking, are you sure? I mean, we're shepherds. No one's going to believe us. So here's my question for you. Have you ever felt like you were the last one who should be invited to God's table? If that's you, and I want you to hear me say, like the shepherds who were the least likely guests of all, you are personally invited to God's table. You belong here. The last thing I want us to see is the shepherds. They were together in the fields when these angels broke into worship, and it was after that, that the shepherds were willing to take their next step. The angels worshipped because they believed in the message the shepherds had to worship until they believed in the message this is important because it can both can be true for us in different seasons of our lives sometimes we worship because we believe but sometimes we have to worship until we believe there may be some really hard things about your life right now maybe it's a a job situation maybe it's a relationship maybe it's a diagnosis But whatever it is, maybe you find yourself in a place where you can't worship because you're confident in what God is doing. But I want to encourage you. You can still worship until you're confident in what God is doing. In a minute, we're going to sing a song called Believe for it, and I hope you'll use that as your moment to either cry out because you believe or cry out until you believe that God is at work right where you are in either case, the sequencing of how Luke constructs this text would suggest that the clarity and the courage that we need to take our next step comes on the heels of worship and fellowship with God's people. Like I said, you belong here. So When you see an angel on your Christmas tree this year or on your Christmas cards or on your Christmas PJs, whatever it is, I want you to remember that he came with a message, one that demands a response from us. Am I willing to listen to what God has to say to me? Am I willing to set aside what I've been holding on to? And am I willing to take my next step? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful, grateful that uh, you came in the way that you did. It says so much about who you are. It even says a lot about who we are. And I pray that as we think about how the angel came and the message that he brought, that we would begin to see you more nearly as you are. And we would begin to better understand who you've made us to be. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. So for the next few minutes, we want to give you guys a chance to respond an opportunity just to consider two questions. What is God saying to me? What am I going to do with that? As we do it, you'll see some people get up, move around, do some different things. For some of you, you're ready to start listening. You're ready to Let go of some of the misconceptions you've had about God, and maybe even about yourself. Maybe you're becoming more aware that God has a different race for you. If that's you, then I want you to come to somebody on our prayer team. Just come down front. They'll pray over you that God would begin to show you just how far he was willing to go. That you would understand how deeply he loves you. Maybe for some of you, you're now ready to take that next step. It could mean joining a small group in January. It could mean beginning to serve somewhere at your campus or in your community. Whatever it is, I want you to go to a cross this morning. Write it down on a piece of paper. Pin it there. As your way of saying, I'm committing to taking this next step, maybe even take a picture of it so that as you're scrolling through your photos in January, you're going to see it. And remember, I said I was going to do that. Maybe as you've heard this today, you're thinking about someone who needs to hear a message like this, and you may just be the one to bring it to them. If that's you, then I'd encourage you to go and light a candle. And as you do, pray that God's light would help them to see the life he died to bring them. And then finally, as a part of response, we're going to sing and worship together. For some of you, it will be because you believe. For others, it will just need to be until you believe. Both are fine, but let's worship the king who exchanged his throne for a manger so that we could be free forever. Let's worship together.